the 49ers did not win, and that's a good thing. Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. We dissect Super Bowl 58. The Lombardi Trophy will not be coming to the NFC West. It remains in the AFC West. Also, if you're GM Monty Austin Fort, yes, you're listening to trade offers for pick number four. Should he also be reaching out to one particular team to perhaps bring back a familiar face? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 727, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So the more things change, the more things stay the same. It was one year ago today, as we broadcast here on Monday, February 12th, that the Kansas City Chiefs beat or I should say, won Super Bowl 57, beating the Philadelphia Eagles. And now we are one day removed from the Kansas City Chiefs in overtime, beating the San Francisco 49ers, which I endorse, by the way. I've made it very clear I did not want the 49ers to win. So Monday is a victory Monday. I'm going to relish and the division rival suffering here 24 hours later. You know, we're sort of in the same boat, are we not? We both grew up in the Bay Area. We've both been here more than two decades, yep. three decades in my case. Yet somehow we get profiled, do we not? <laughs> that that we're like these closet 49er fans. No, no, and more no. Even my own wife didn't believe me. She, she, she made it uh, a, a real sport after the game to needle me about <laughs> Supposedly, I lost the Super Bowl. No, I have zero allegiance and affection for a 49ers team that has come in and you know, took care of the Cardinals a couple times this past year. There is nothing more that I want to see than the Arizona Cardinals dethrone the 49ers. And so, look, I, I didn't have a horse in that race in Super Bowl 58, uh, but I will say it wasn't surprising, was it, that in the end, what Taylor Swift did to that beer Patrick Mahomes did to the 49ers defense in overtime. And that's what it came down to. That was impressive, by the way. Both how the game finished and Taylor Swift up on the Jumbotron as well. By the way, speaking of the hometown, the Bay Area, the hometown newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle, did you happen to catch? Did not. Okay, here's no. the headline Las Vegas. Oh. L O S S. As someone who appreciates a good headline, that's well done. That that's that's so. a double ding. As someone who grew up reading the Sporting Green, uh, that is very very well done by the headline writers of the Chronicle. Twenty five, twenty two. The Chiefs beat the Forty Nine ers in overtime. Paul, where do you go with this one? Is it the Chiefs once again going back to back third Super Bowl in five years? Is it the Forty Nine ers just can't get over the hump? Kyle Shanahan. Just can't beat the Chiefs, can't win the big one. And the decision to take the ball as opposed to playing defense to begin overtime. Where do you go as far as when you look back at Super Bowl 58? Yeah, and we can get into the whole analytics and the strategy of that in overtime, but to me, this is long decided. If you're the 49ers, you're not lamenting that as nearly as much as the series of gaffes that put it into overtime the extra point that got blocked it could have been a four-point game instead it was a three-point game in the fourth quarter 
Yeah, the punt return turnover that set up the Chiefs' first touchdown, just a gimme after you know the ball hit the foot, and then Ray Ray McLeod's trying to jump on it. So that was a massive turnover and gaff. Obviously, the Christian McCaffrey lost fumble in the first half. That was big. You know the the Dre Greenlaw freak oh. injury. I mean, what is going on with that? And then just some of the strategy. You went three and out. On your first three possessions of the third quarter coming out of halftime, eight of the nine play calls were pass plays. I mean, you were running the ball to start the game. Once again, you get away from the run. Why? You're one of the top rush teams. You have the top running back in the game this season and Christian McCaffrey. I, I just I didn't get it. Go out there and run behind Trent Williams and and so I, I you know, there's a lot more to blame if you're Kyle Shanahan than just your decision with a coin toss and whether to receive or defer. A lot of other things you can point to in that loss. You point to McCaffrey running the ball. He did carry the ball twenty two times, so it wasn't like they were not feeding him, but to your point, if you're having success, give it to him thirty, thirty two times because what are you waiting on? What are you holding back? You've got a long off season. Get the ball in the hands of your playmaker. Or, and you look at Debo Samuel, 11 targets. He only had three catches for 33 yards. So, again, I thought Brock Purdy played well. Didn't turn the ball over. And it's not so much, yeah, there were mistakes made. And if you're a 49ers fan, you're lamenting a lot of that. But, again, in that atmosphere, big stage, the Chiefs, won that game. Yeah, the 49ers opened the door, and the Chiefs not only went through that door, but they closed it behind them to come away with another championship. And in the moment, their best players made the biggest plays. Whether Patrick Mahomes, obviously, but even Travis Kelsey, after one catch for one yard in the first half, what did he say after the game? They asked him what was the difference. He said, well, yeah, stop playing like a jabroni, man. That was for you and your whole wrestling uh, <laughs> affinity over there. By the way, the Seth Rollins, WWE champion, has invited Travis Kelsey and all the Swifties <laughs> to come to WrestleMania. Sure. So yep. feel free to jump on yep. board, Paul. Yeah, rising tide lists all sporting <laughs> entities. Yes, that uh, that is the Swift, no doubt about that. Well, he made good. You know, She got the hardware at the Grammys. Yep. He said he was going to have to bring home the hardware, and he did. Ended up with 9 for 93 after that uh, You know, zero first half. Hey, props to Fred Warner who a lot of times was one-on-one with Travis Kelsey. But then when the Chiefs made their adjustments, the Niners failed to adjust defensively against Kelsey, obviously made a couple of huge plays when it counted the most. And then Chris Jones, I think he's the most underrated part of that team. For as Look, and I realize he's a top three defensive lineman in the game. I realize he's an all-pro. All I still don't think he gets enough spotlight, Chris Jones. There was an overtime and it was third and fourth and nine, and he busts right through. Now, did he go on block? Yes. Is that inexplicable? Yes. In fact, add that to the list of gas by the 49ers that I – what are you doing not getting a body and a get-a-hat on Chris Jones because there were two options, Debo or Jawan Jennings on that third and fourth from the nine in overtime that easily could have been targeted for a touchdown, but Brock Purdy didn't have time because he had big six foot six, 340-pound number 95 in his face – and that happened too often where Chris Jones was allowed to or they didn't get a double team on him, and too often he wrecked the game. Officially, Jones credited with two quarterback hits, but what does not show up in the stat sheets, and you have to kind of go through some of the analytical numbers, but the pressures, the hurries, and disrupting what the offense likes to do of the 49ers. And, yeah, Chris Jones, 
that is a big missing piece that the Cardinals need. They need that interior defensive presence, i.e. and Aaron Donald. Yes, Chris Jones is a free agent. Yes, he's going to cost a lot of money. But if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, what you have right now, why would you even consider letting Chris Jones out the door? You got things worked out this past season. You sweetened the pot a little bit. He sat out week one, got him back on the field. I would love, and I do think Jones is that type of player who this was not a contract year type of performance. He has done this year in and year out. Yeah, he's getting to that age where maybe you hesitate a little bit. I don't think you do that with a player like Chris Jones. I just don't think he's going to be an option for any team, let alone the Arizona Cardinals. Which is interesting because in all the press coverage leading up to Super Bowl 58, most of the reports out of Kansas City said it's inevitable. He's going to hit the open market, that they're not going to tag him. They don't have the ability under the cap. So that's going to be really interesting to monitor. I agree with you. It's not like letting Tyreek Hill go. Chris Jones is the heartbeat and really is the epicenter of that Kansas City defense, which was really good all year long and had a good enough performance in Super Bowl 58 to make them a two-time in a row champion. So I'm real curious to see what they decide. It's, there are a number of premier defensive tackles, defensive linemen, who are going to be potential free agents. And I think we both agree if there's one spot where the Cardinals are going to maybe willing to spend big money in free agency you got to figure it's along that defensive front that's where you're lacking either defensive tackles or edge rushers and I know we'll get to a former name who's a current name perhaps uh coming up a little bit later what the Cardinals need was on full display in the Super Bowl and it's been on display this entire postseason run it starts and ends at the line of scrimmage you need to protect the quarterback and you need to get to the quarterback don't want to steal your line Paul but it's about that thing it's about one of two things Protect your franchise quarterback and get to the other team's franchise quarterback. And I thought both teams protected fairly well. I don't think Brock Purdy was jitterish at all. It's just, and people said it going into the game, don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. It's the exact same thing people were saying about Tom Brady late in his career. If you give the ball, you leave that door open even just a little bit. I mean, the Chiefs could do nothing in that first quarter, yet it was scoreless in the first quarter. The 49ers completely outplayed the Chiefs in the first half, only had a seven-point lead. Paul, the Chiefs were two of six in the red zone. They got inside the 20-yard line six times. They were just one of three goal to go, and it was the game-winning touchdown that they scored goal to go. So you can't keep allowing good teams like that opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and the 49ers made enough mistakes you referenced the three three and outs to begin the second half and I'm sorry game winning drive or the game tying drive to get to overtime there's no one better in the NFL right now currently than Patrick Mahomes no doubt look what he did he was eight for eight passing on that game winning touchdown drive in overtime he scrambled for a pair of first downs you know, including eight yards in that fourth and one with the Super Bowl on the line, literally, and then 19 yards to set up the game-winning touchdown. So, and by all accounts, he was changing plays in that final drive. He was changing pass protections at the line of scrimmage, then using those run-pass options. And I'll be honest, I'm thinking of Kyla Murray that whole time. 
yes, Patrick Mahomes is the best, and there's no doubt about it. Now he's, what, the sixth quarterback to win three Super Bowls, and he's the youngest ever to do it, have three Super Bowl rings. But a lot of what he's doing, there are only a few guys in the game who can do it as well. And, and I would put Kyler Murray in that category. Does he quite have the arm talent of Patrick Holmes? Maybe not, but he's got more than enough, way above average. Obviously, he can run the football. Obviously, he can keep a defense honest. And if you're telling me the Kyler Murray we saw in the last three games of last season, who was changing plays a lot, pass protections, was keeping defenses honest with his feet, and then in those big moments was coming through. And what's interesting, I saw this AP report of this. I have no idea where they get the, they got this. And I'm going to quote. This is about Patrick Mahomes in the clutch. He surprisingly struggled in the clutch this season. Just 18 for 47 for a buck 67 passing with zero touchdowns in a pick with a chance to tie or take the lead in the fourth quarter or overtime. Yet to your point, in the biggest moment of all, he was flawless. Eight for eight led that touchdown drive, and made the right calls, the right decisions at the right times. And he just has that great blend of athleticism and brains and arm talent and calm in the moment decision-making that only a few guys can possibly replicate. And I'm just saying that Kyler Murray has that potential. And if you're Kyler and you're the Cardinals coaching staff and you're watching that, that, that is some film to behold and break down the second half in overtime. It's the dual threat, being able to beat you with your arm as well as your legs. And Patrick Mahomes prefers to be that pocket passer. Get the ball into your hands of your playmakers, but when needed, you slide the pocket one way or the other, buy a little extra time, scramble, or if you have to, on that fourth down situation, season on the line, championship on the line, fourth and one, and you scramble. And I think... It looked like that was maybe a designed run because there was very little hesitation out of Mahomes on that because whether it was called or he improvised, I just think they break the huddle. You see the defense like, well, this is wide open right here. And he was untouched. He easily got that fourth down. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, this this game's over. It's almost like he keeps it in his back pocket. And uses it at the most critical times. It's almost like he lulls a defense to sleep for three, three and a half quarters, and then in crunch time, in those money moments, that's when he decides to run the ball. Because at that point, trends have been established in the game, and if he hasn't run it yet, guys aren't expecting it. Maybe they forget about it. And then all of a sudden, and look, that that run of 20-plus yards, you know, he there was a chance where a couple of defenders could get him. He had enough burst to get to the second level and leave those guys behind and, and make it a chunk run. So it was really interesting because in the first half, what did the 49ers do? They, for the most part, they rushed four. They dropped seven. Mahomes didn't have a great first half. Exactly what teams used to do against Kurt Warner. You rush three or four, drop seven or eight, and make him find open receivers in flooded you know, covers and zone covers and and make his receivers think as well. And it looked like the 49ers did a pretty good job of that with a pretty average crew of receivers with the Chiefs, but then in the second half. And there were times where Steve Wilkes, to me, inexplicably started blitzing him. Blitzes were late. They were not getting home. It looked like Patrick Mahomes welcomed the blitz. Bring it, because I'll find it. I'm going to find the open guy. And there was even that timeout at the very end that Kyle Shannon, I thought Tony Romo nailed it, wasn't really all that excited about the rest of the call, to be honest with you. But Tony Romo, I think, nailed that, where Kyle Shanahan 
called timeout. He said, Steve Wilkes, what are you doing? If you're going to go cover zero here, no, we just got burned by that. Don't do it again three plays later. Mahomes is loading up to beat you again down the field, and then they made adjustments. Overall, Mahomes, 34 of 46 for 333 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. Yes, he was the game's MVP, third of his career, joining Tom Brady and Joe Montana as the only quarterbacks with three or more MVPs. And, Paul, he's just 28 years old. That's the scary part about all of this because Andy Reid's coming back. Travis Kelsey's coming back. Again, I do think Chris Jones will be back. I don't see this Chiefs team going anywhere, although I did find it interesting that the odds for 2024 are already out. And yes, the 49ers are the favorite. Yet at the same time, the Chiefs struggled all season long but finally figured things out when it mattered most. Just get into the dance. Give us an opportunity. Be one of those seven teams in the playoffs and the AFC, and we'll make it happen. Andy Reid this week said he texted Antonio Pierce, thanked the Raiders' then interim head coach, now full-time head coach, for, one, the facility. Andy Reid liked what they had there with the Raiders. And then how the Raiders beat down the Chiefs on Christmas Day, thanked Antonio Pierce for, yeah, getting us back, getting our heads back in the game and waking us up. Yeah, that was an embarrassing performance. The entire country saw it on Christmas Day. It was their fifth loss in eight games. Think about the regular season where no team had more drops as a receiver group than Kansas City. 44 drops as a receiver group led the NFL. Heck, the Chiefs going into the playoffs were a 10-to-1 shot. So for all you gamblers out there, man, that would have been solid money, but nobody thought that. They had they had to play their first road playoff game, true road playoff game of Patrick Mahomes' career twice. They won both games at Buffalo, at Baltimore. They won the fourth coldest game in NFL history at home to beat Miami. So you look back on it now, and the stat was they just navigated the toughest path to a Super Bowl based on strength of opponents ever faced in a single season. So there's that. But once again, let's get back to it. When you make Patrick Mahomes the underdog, look out. What did he say after the game? And and he shouted this out. The Kansas City Chiefs are never underdogs. Just know that. So we've talked about that the last month or so. What is that added motivation for a guy who already has two Super Bowl rings to get a third? Oh, they're making us underdog? Okay. And when you're the world's best, sometimes you need that. Michael Jordan needed that. Yep. All the Tom Brady needed that little extra edge. So guess what? Here's... Here's what I fear for the 31 other teams going into 2024. The new motivation is there because never before in the Super Bowl era has a team three-peated. So if Patrick Mahomes has that as the carrot at the end of the NFL season, look out because you know he's going to be going after that. And how quickly that was brought up. I believe it was Mahomes on stage or one of the on-field interviews that that was already in his mind. So the confetti had not even completely landed on the field at Allegiant Stadium, and the talk is already about doing something that has never been done in the Super Bowl era. By the way, did Pat Riley end up trademarking 3-peat? Remember that whole deal yeah. where with the Lakers, and then he tried I to go back did. and 3-peat, or try and trademark it, and you know, so like the old Michael Buffer, you know, get ready to rumble, you know, I own that phrase. So you're going to hear that a lot the rest of this calendar year. And the question is, will Pat Riley collect accordingly? (laughs) I'm curious about that. Well, things are good for Pat Riley if he's going to be getting a check off of a different team and a different sport of his own. Um, 
But yeah, the the Chiefs went, beat the number six seed, the number two seed, the number one seed in the AFC, and then the number one seed in the NFC. It was not a easy road for the Chiefs, and they do it in overtime. And once again, for the 49ers, it's Kyle Shanahan not being able to win the big one because there have been two Super Bowls that have reached overtime. And Shanahan has been on the losing end of both. He was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons under Dan Quinn when the Patriots won that, overcoming a 28-3 deficit. But this is the second time now in second time in the Super Bowl in which Shanahan has watched Patrick Mahomes overcome a 10-point deficit four years ago with Jimmy Garoppolo and now here with Brock Purdy and there's that narrative and it's something that I think Shanahan understands he's aware of it and he's going to have to wear it especially the decision to take the ball as opposed to playing defense in overtime yeah so he is now known as the first head coach ever to blow two double digit leads in a Super Bowl and then you throw in that the 49ers blew that 10 point fourth quarter lead in the 2021 NFC championship against the Rams So that's obviously something you're going to hear ad nauseum. Niners, everybody now, still have not won a Super Bowl since 1994, and that was a Steve Young year. So now you go to overtime and you go to the other controversy and you go to the coin toss decision, and Shanahan after the game said it was pre-decided, predetermined, we win, we're taking the ball. And I get it from some angles, especially in the moment. Okay, if your defense is gassed, and they just played four quarters, all right, you give them a chance to get a blow. If their defense is gassed, you're going at them. But the downside is you don't know exactly what you need, right? I mean, yeah. okay, so if you're the second team, and this was pointed out because Shanahan's logic was, you know what, we wanted to be the third team. If it's truly sudden death, we wanted the ability to end the game. But then the response from the Chiefs was, well, wait a minute, if you score a touchdown, take the ball, score a touchdown, we're the second, we score a touchdown – we still have a chance to end the game by going for a two-point conversion. So most college football coaches, because this is pretty much the identical format and presents the same decision as a head coach, in college football, it's almost unanimous. If you win the toss, you defer. You're the second team because you want to know what you need. And Shanahan went against the grain of that one. And, yes, there are a lot of doubters and a lot of critics. And to your point, yeah, you understand why that – line of thinking but at the same time you just played 60 minutes you're about to go into your 75th minute if there is a second overtime and sudden death at that point if you're the Chiefs if you're any team and the 49ers had scored a touchdown to your point okay you need a touchdown to tie any head coach in that moment your team had just played 70 plus minutes I'm going to say you're going to go for two 100% of the time, to end the game, make sure you have the ball in your hands, in your control. You want your franchise quarterback to win or lose on that two-point play. Forget sudden death. I don't know if we'll ever see a sudden death because in order to get there, you're playing a lot of football, a lot of snaps. And I understand, yeah, you want that sudden death. You want to be on offense. I just don't think any team is going to get to that point if we ever get to this point ever again in the playoffs. So let's go back to the third and four at the Kansas City nine where Chris Jones was unblocked and came in and rushed the throw of Brock Purdy. 
So now, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're that entire 49ers offense, you have to live with, wait a minute, what if it was fourth and four at the nine, and we were the second to receive the ball? What play is still on the laminated play sheet that we never got to? What play would we have run fourth and four at the nine that could have netted us a first down or a touchdown when we have Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Jawan Jennings, who was red hot in that game, Brandon Ayuk. Think of all the weapons, all the all-pros and pro bowlers who didn't get a chance to make a play that could have resulted. Instead, you had you opted to go for the field goal because you needed the sure points of that at that stage because you opted to take the ball first. So to me, if I'm Kyle Shanahan and I'm the 49ers, that's the lament that you have to live with. Chiefs win again, 25-22 in overtime. Almost went to a double overtime. But, uh, yeah, Super Bowl 58 is in the books. Was not in Las Vegas, but by all accounts, I think they'll be back in Las Vegas sooner rather than later. Oh, yeah. Commissioner Roger Goodell Monday morning said, yeah, we will be back. Just a matter of when, not if. But if you're talking about a rotation now, everyone loves New Orleans, everyone loves Florida, whether that's in Miami or Tampa Bay, and you're looking for that West Coast spot, well, you've got Los Angeles, you've got Phoenix, and now you've got Las Vegas. Yeah. I don't know if there was a bigger winner the entire week than the Sphere, right? I mean, <laughs> honestly, how much advertising money did that operation net? Are you kidding me? And there were a lot of oohs and ahs. It was really cool, right? Everything they did, obviously, with the technology on the outside, everything you saw on the inside. I don't know how tough it is to get a ticket, but it's probably never been tougher here on the Monday morning after Super Bowl and all that coverage. And you saw some of the clips of U2 playing and what that whole scene and setting looked like inside the sphere. So I'm not sure anything won as big as as a sphere. I'd say Kansas City Chiefs were number two. Uh, But yes, the economic impact in Vegas must have been remarkable. And there were other ancillary events that went on during the entire week as everybody glommed on and trying to glean something off the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, hey... They're known for doing big events really well, and there's no doubt Vegas is officially in the rotation. You spend $7 million for a 30-second ad spot. James Dolan, who orchestrated, who put together the money to build that sphere, they didn't pay any money for commercial airtime, but how many times did you see it during the week? Yep. B-roll, cutaways. Oh, yeah. All the social media clips, people with their cell phone video out their hotel rooms. Really cool. And by the way, okay, real quick, on the uh, commercials during the Super Bowl, eh, underwhelming, certainly at times. The uh, Dung Kings, the Dunk like Dunk. Yeah. yeah, I mean, come on, with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and J-Lo and Tom Brady and all that. Um, the Couch Potato Farm, to me, was a good concept. Pretty good commercial, but I like the concept. And then actually, I thought the NFL International Pathway Player spot w- was moving. I thought it, it resonated. Osi Umanura, who heads that up, and, and that was set in, in Africa with all the players from around the globe trying to crack the NFL. I thought that was just a really well-done spot uh, featuring all the NFL stars in that one. Just needed more Bernard Sykovitz. <laughs> That's right. Where's the psycho thing? By the way, what I didn't need is more Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sorry. I didn't I don't I just don't need any more of that in my life. And even after seeing three or four spots and how many millions in ad spend, I still have no clue what homes.com does. 
So I'm not sure that was an effective ad campaign, or maybe I'm just Paul the idiot face. Yeah, and again, if you, if you can't figure it out in 30 <laughs> seconds, then you didn't spend your money wisely, or you just right. wasted a whole bunch of money and a bunch of time to kind of figure out what you're pushing there as far as your product is concerned. One other note as far as the Super Bowl, and that's what happened before the game kicked off. All your NFL insiders, they always save their nuggets for those pregame shows, they kind of bottle it up, and sometimes stuff gets leaked out during the course of the week. But I did find interesting, and many Cardinal fans did as well, it was Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, the first that I saw to report, and I think some others continued with their own sourcing. But according to Rappaport, the Eagles have given Hassan Reddick permission to seek a trade. Former Arizona Cardinal, 13th overall pick in 2017. He's got one year left on a three-year contract. He's owed $16 million, so he'd be acquiring that. And then he wants a payday. He's 29, be 30 in September. But I got to say, there's a lot of Cardinal fans, Paul, and considering the position that Reddick plays and excels at now, it's not the same position that he played when he was drafted here. It's the position that he played his final year with the Cardinals. But edge rusher. It's a need, and if you're a GM on Asenfort, yeah, I would pick up the phone despite what might be between the two teams and something that the Cardinals and Eagles have already had to work compensation out for a year ago with the head coaching position, but it would be an intriguing and certainly a great story if maybe Reddick is ending his career where it began. You know, I totally forgot about that. You're right. The hurdle between the two front offices yeah. after what was announced on the morning of draft air, basically 20 minutes before the draft actually commenced. So you're right. I forgot about that. Add that to the list of challenges. One, you'd have to trade significant assets. Two, you'd have to come up with a major payday for a 29-year-old. I get it. He probably has a great relationship with Jonathan Gannon. I remember 2020. 2022 season and the Eagles were flying high and remember they led the NFL in sacks and it wasn't even close that team that went to the Super Bowl had 70 sacks the next closest team had 55 and I forget where Hassan Reddick was 15 16 maybe 17 that season but I remember a comment from Jonathan Gannon really in keeping with JG now that we know him much better where he said heck if I didn't drop him off into coverage so much he'd have 30 sacks was the comment from Jonathan Gannon I still remember that quote before we even really knew who he was and okay yes he would fit well in the system yes he has a good relationship but I don't see the combination of factors the assets being traded the contract being paid and then the relationships perhaps being uh, mended to be able to allow that to happen I just don't see that as good a fit as Hassan Reddick. What and as good a person as Hassan Reddick is, you know this, Craig. For everything that went sideways with him being the 13th pick overall, especially those first two three years where he's out of position, he met the media every single time, stood in front of his locker, fielded all the questions. He was thoughtful. He was honest. He was intelligent. I'd love to have Hassan Reddick back in the Cardinals locker room. I just don't view it as very realistic. Probably not, but it is worth at least a phone call if we're playing general manager here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, because yes, the person, you can't ask for a better person in Hassan Reddick. The player, double-digit sacks in each of the last four seasons, so he's not slowing down despite He'll be 30 when the season begins or he turns 30 in September. But I go back to the last time we had a need at the edge rusher and the Cardinals went out and acquired somebody. Granted, Chandler Jones was 26 at the time. 
and that did cost a first round pick, excuse me, a second round pick plus Jonathan Cooper. And then the Cardinals eventually did pay Chandler Jones and he lived up to that contract. Say what you want about Chandler nowadays, but it does bring back those memories because this team desperately needs an edge rush. And you know what? That's a big difference. I mean, that's the prime. The difference between 26 and 29, I mean, that, that is huge. Think of how much different Chandler Jones was at 29-30 than he was at 25-26. Think of the Bears who are willing to trade the assets, high second-round pick, and pay the big contract for Montez Sweat. But again, he's coming off his rookie deal. He's 25, 26 years of age. He's just entering his prime years. And so for Hassan Reddick at age 29, it's a gamble. Some guys are really productive at 29, 30, 31, and others fall off a cliff. So you'd have to really know the player very well and know exactly what you're getting before you make that sort of investment. And I don't think there's a team outside the Cardinals that know Hassan Reddick better considering Jonathan Gannon Nick Rawls. That's why it makes a ton of sense. But to your point, the draft or the, the the capital that you would have to give up, the compensation, and then write a check. And then, oh, by the way, how are things between the two teams as far as front offices are concerned, ownership level because of the back and forth that still exists to this day, I believe, that many people blame Jonathan Gannon for what happened a year ago today here in Arizona at the Super Bowl 57? I think the more likely scenario is you get even more picks in this year's draft. You already have 11, but oh, I don't know, Daniel Jeremiah tweeting out on Super Bowl Sunday, or maybe it was Saturday before the Super Bowl, quote, I believe we'll see four to five teams looking to moving up for a quarterback over the next few months. Teams are excited about next year's QB class. We are hearing this time and time again. I was carrying Wolf on his show late last week, Craig, and there there was Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft analyst, joining us from Mobile in the Senior Bowl, and he said the same thing. The 2025 QB draft class is underwhelming at best. So if there isn't enough desperation and need for a quarterback in this year's draft, uh, just based on normal years, it's enhanced by the fact that next year, the best quarterback might have the first name Jack and the last name Squat. So, okay, what does that mean for the Cardinals? You're sitting at number four. Once again, QB rising. That Let there be four quarterbacks and or let Marvin Harrison Jr. go in the first three picks. That's fine with me. That means a quarterback falls to four, and I do believe the Cardinals at that point would cash it in. And I believe, as I follow religiously at Paul Calvisi, that you might have tweeted something or posted something earlier on Monday because there was another mock draft, NFL Network's Chad Reeder, that the Cardinals make a trade with the Denver Broncos with that fourth overall pick. And the Broncos right now with pick number 12. But just look at the teams behind the Cardinals. The Giants at number six. Is Daniel Jones the answer? Mm. The Titans at number seven. Will Levis, the Falcons at number eight, Desmond Ritter. No. And then there's the Vikings, Broncos, and Raiders at 11, 12, and 13. There are enough teams behind the Cardinals. I don't know if you want to drop too far down from 13. That's middle of the round. But there are enough teams that need a quarterback. And if what Jeremiah posted is true, that next year's draft class is not nearly as good, and there are players, i.e. J.J. McCarthy, uh, uh, Bo Nix, that 
in next year's class are the number one quarterback and you can get them this year, then yeah, the quarterback position gets elevated and you do have to make that decision to uh, to move up in the draft. And the Cardinals, they have their quarterback. Now they have a lot of needs, more draft picks, gives them more opportunities to fill those needs. Michael Penix showed really well at the Senior Bowl. Bo Nix, uh, he helped himself, not as much as Michael Penix. J.J. McCarthy is getting talked up like you wouldn't believe by Mel Kuyper Jr. Uh, I heard him over the weekend and talking about J.J. McCarthy. So, okay, let's see what happens at the Combine in two weeks. Let's see what happens on these pro days. It's happened before. Anthony Richardson, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Here comes that quarterback. Hasn't played a single rep in a real game. But based on the workouts and some of the tests and the meetings with teams, all of a sudden, these these quarterback-hungry teams, oh, all right, and let's just say they make it worth the Cardinals' while, and they fall to eight. Heck, they even go 11, 12, or 13. Well, this draft is really deep in tackles. Even if you go all the way to 13, I'm confident you can get a franchise tackle at that point. You can maybe even get that receiver at that point. A Malik Neighbors, a Roma Dunze, if they fall, boom, you're all over that at 13. Worst case scenario, I think that's as far down as you go if you're Monty Austin Ford. But if you pick up a first-round pick next year, it's the same logic and rationale you used in the Houston Texans trade that 90% of the time would work. You go with a losing team and a rookie quarterback, and you take their first-round pick the next year. It just so stinking happens that C.J. Stroud had an unbelievable historic year for a rookie quarterback. Nobody saw that coming. The Houston Texans had the worst winning percentage of any NFL team between 2020-21 and 22. They had a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback, and somehow they went from worst to first. Okay, but you know what? What are the odds that happens two, two times in a row? So maybe you orchestrate a similar type of deal predicated on expecting those sort of results that you typically get from a rookie quarterback in a losing team. And then all of a sudden, especially if it's the Raiders and you got a rookie head coach, Antonio Pierce, going in that division with Andy Reid and Sean Payton and now Jim Harbaugh and those quarterbacks in that division, I would trade with the Raiders in a hot second. Lightning won't strike twice, to your point about the Houston Texans, because that's one in a million shot that happens again so if you're a general manager don't be scared about that you just have to figure out okay if at number four and Marvin Harrison Jr. is still on the board that's where you have to pony up and say all right am I leaving a hall of fame potential hall of fame player who's going to get me 12 13 1400 yards on a consistent base eight, nine, ten touchdowns and really elevates this offense. Am I leaving that on the board for your scenario? But, yes, you get the second or third best wide receiver that any other year is a number one wide out and maybe the second or third, fourth best tackle because the tackle position, it's not so much the individual, but how do they mess together as a unit? And the Cardinals offensive line, despite not having a bunch of all pros, meshed very well this past yeah, season. No question. And for those of us who have been around for a few decades, we remember giving up on Terrell Suggs and going down later in the first round and end up with Brian Johnson and Calvin Pace. So, But once again, it's about the players you select and the faith you have in your war room to find the best players. Giving up on Terrell Suggs, yes, he was all Famer and NFL Defensive Player of the Year on his resume. That was costly. But if you would have found two 
above-average starters and or Pro Bowl caliber players with those other two picks later in the first round, then you know what? It would have been an equitable trade. It's the fact you missed yes. on those picks. It wasn't necessarily the picks themselves. So, all right, based on the first-year returns and who Mani Asifor and company are able to find in the 2023 draft, I think everybody's bullish on what's coming in 2024. But to your point, if you deem Marvin Harrison Jr., the next Larry Fitzgerald, first ballot Hall of Famer, then you can't go wrong. You stick and stay at number four, and you turn in the card. And I don't. nobody would complain about that, including yours truly. I'm just saying I expect there to be a lot of desperation by these quarterback-hungry teams, and I think there's a real good chance they make the Cardinals an offer they can't refuse. And it just might have to be that offer. It just can't be a swap of picks in a future first round. It's got to be you have to really entice, maybe even add more picks, maybe even add a player like the Panthers did to the Bears, giving DJ Moore to Chicago, something like that, a position of need. So you get draft capital, plus you get a wide receiver, a cornerback, or what some position that you could say, all right, that's a plug-in starter right away. The known versus the unknown. I have a good buddy of mine. He used to host a radio show with Vic Lombardi. He's a big deal in Denver. You can follow him on Twitter. And I, I text him, hey, well, you know, you guys want that quarterback in number four. We'll take your first rounder and Patrick Sertan. <laughs> and he told me to get my car keys to somebody. Do not get behind the wheel. So I guess he deemed that a non-starter. I'm not exactly sure. But I'm trying. I'm trying to sort of, you know, broker a deal. To your point, Craig, you get a frontline Pro Bowl caliber starter at a position of need, plus Denver's first-round pick. That would be the starting point. I think, I think, I, I think yes. that's what you have to do right. if you really want to move up, especially I mean, if you're moving up from number 12. Hello, Denver, look what you stinking gave up for Russell Wilson. I mean, this is a deal based on what George Payton gave up for Russell Wilson and made himself the two-time reigning Seattle Seahawks MVP the general manager of the Broncos. That trade was so lopsided. Um, by the way, before we close up shop, and I – hesitate here because i don't want to upset a lot of the bird gang but i'm going to ask this question anyway halftime usher's performance hmm okay i'm going to out myself here i only recognized one song of his and i am kind of embarrassed to admit that i mean the performance was outstanding it looked great came off well but i just i don't know to me it, it, it lacked a little and again i know that's a that's a Hot take, or it's not a very popular take, but that's just where I'm sitting here on a Monday. So I was at the lunch table about an hour ago, and a colleague of ours in the Cardinals media department, Jay, and I didn't realize what an absolute expert he is on all-time Super Bowl halftime shows. And I said, what was the year that Bruno Mars, and boom, he's like 2015, or he nailed it right away, and he started telling He agreed with my Pauly Power Poll that, to me, the best one in recent memory was indeed Bruno Mars, although he then added, okay, but if you want to go back one more year and include that in the year before, Beyonce set the gold standard, apparently, based on people who are aficionados of these halftime shows. So better than I Prince. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I guess um, longtime Prince fans, it was good. It was pretty, pretty good, but not great, apparently. I, I remember it as being outstanding, Prince. It rained I, you know, during Purple Rain. Yes, that's right. <laughs> What I liked last year at State Farm Stadium was just all those platforms. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that was ridiculous. So whether you're a fan or not of, the, of Rihanna's music, I, I thought this the uh, the way they choreographed the whole thing was amazing to be up there. And uh, So, all right. Now, look, 
I'm still partial to Super Bowl 43 in Tampa where I was uh, wrestling with all the photographers for a front row seat to see the boss, all right? But that was back in the day when it was very simple. Now, Super Bowl 43, you hosted halftime, correct? So Some of it. So, some of it. Oh, was it just too loud? You're just like, I, guys, I can't hear it and just throw away the headset and like, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this. I, I did part of it, but it was so long that we had to throw it back to the studio for quite a bit. But I, I think I was on for a little bit. I don't quite remember because I was so mesmerized by watching Bruce <laughs> Springsteen. I do remember later Bertrand Berry telling us in the Big Red Rage that the Super Bowl halftime was so long he ate a full meal. <laughs> he got out of his uniform, ate a full meal, and then redressed. I think he might have actually showered too. B train is like uh, wow. is like 99th percentile in cleanliness. So there was something like he told this story. That's how long the Super Bowl halftime was. But see, I lost all credibility at Casa Calvisi when they showed a shot of the uh, the suite with Taylor Swift, and I'm like, all right, so who are the other people with her? And then I was informed by the wife and daughter that one of the people in there, the luminaries, the celebrities, was Ice Spice. Yes. I said, wait, what? <laughs> one of the original Spice Girls? Oh, no. I said, that can't be. She looks way too young to be the original. I started doing the math in my head. I'm like, she can't be what? I'm like, and then I was informed by the wife and daughter, Dad, stop talking. And that might be a good cue here with you, Craig, on Cardinals cover two. I don't feel too bad about my take now. Wow. It's tough. I got a whole season to regain any sort of uh, pop culture credibility in my own household. Tough. Okay. Well, let's jump on that, Paul, right now. Yeah. I'm going to let you go and uh, familiarize yourself. Get on Wikipedia. Do whatever you need to do. Do some research. I got to try and win the offseason, Craig, <laughs> in more ways than one. On that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, thankfully for Paul's sake, and maybe my own as well. Special thanks to everyone involved behind the scenes, our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2. I mean, spices and trademarked? How can she go with ice spice and not get sued? I don't get it.